0: Welcome to the Friendly Meeple's Lounge, the podcast all about board games, new and old, weird and fun, and our thoughts and feelings on their playability. I'm your host, Jen Flores.
1: And I'm your host, Chris Engel.
0: And this week, we've got a very, very special episode for you. Chris, would you like to tell us what this episode is all about?
1: This episode, we're going to be talking about Oz BunnyCon. What the hell is OsbunnyCon? You might wonder, or you might go. I was there, in which case you know exactly what OsbunnyCon was. So if you weren't there, or you're not from Melbourne, OsbunnyCon is the uh, Melbourne's four-day gaming festival from Good Friday all the way through to Easter Monday, held at the Glen Waverley Bowls Club down in southeast Melbourne. Which is for me, it's sort of like ten minutes from drive from where I live. Uh, for others in Melbourne, it's absolutely ages, which means um, I'm the one that was getting up ridiculously early every morning to try and get there and uh, and, and be on time to get it set up. So I had a good, hard snooze at the end of all of that. Um, Jen's giving me a virtual look.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, (laughs) for me. Because the amount of time it took her to get back. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, so I live on the other side of Melbourne, on the west side of the bay. So for me, it's um, anywhere between a 45-minute to an hour and 45-minute drive to Glen Waverley, depending on traffic. And... Very graciously, Chris invited my husband and I to stay on Sunday night at his place, but the rest of the time we were driving back and forth, which was a bit nuts, but it meant that we did the late shift instead, which was very useful for everyone else because everyone else wanted to be there during the day. We ended up coming mostly for the afternoons, except the first day where we were there from 9am until 11pm. But you know what, that's what game conventions are all about, right? Just really getting in there, having a great time, being there and playing for way more hours than you normally would. And it was such a fantastic weekend.
1: AusCon is one of the friendliest gaming events of the year in Melbourne. It's one mm-hmm. of the friendliest gaming events I know. And for myself as a, a still recent migrant to Australia uh, from about two and a quarter years ago, OzBunnyCon was the first gaming event that I went to uh, on landing in Melbourne. We were in between COVID lockdowns, but semi-COVID free at the time. So everyone was in that, in that little blissful moment between bouts. <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I remember walking in uh, to, to the Glen Webby Bowls Club, didn't know anybody, This happens in games conventions? Roll forward six hours. And suddenly I knew at least half the people in the room and we've been playing some fantastic games together. And a lot of those uh, have been best buddies ever since um so it's it's just a phenomenal phenomenal event i think we had more people than we've ever had before at uh, at Bunnycon this year more people come in every day to Oz BunnyCon uh, each year so you know it's four days is an epic commitment especially over easter um more people bring their families mm-hmm. uh, and, and you see so you got the kids coming along uh, and enjoying and really, really getting into the sort of the games. Um it's just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, event. So we're gonna appear, I think, later in the podcast from sort of a bunch of sort of our sort of fellow meeples who were there at OsbunnyCon. Um their experiences, what they're playing, what games because uh, there's lots of exciting games on the table there. But I think first we'd kick off and say what what exciting games did you play at OsBunnyCon Jen between the between the works part of the, the convention.
0: Oh my goodness, so many. And you know what, for a four-day weekend I probably didn't play as many as I expected to. But um fun fact for you, OsbunnyCon was actually my very first board game convention that I ever went to. So it it's got a very special place in my heart as well. And I feel so lucky that now I'm on the part of the team to be running OsbunnyCon. And as far as cons go, it's actually very relaxed. So (laughs) in terms of running it, like we put a huge amount of effort in all the way up to it. And then the actual running of it is pretty chill, which is awesome for us. In terms of what I played, oh my goodness. The first day I played Cascadia, of course, you know, one of our favorite games. Um, I had some friends there who'd never been to a game convention before. So I was just introducing them to some really chill, fun games that I already knew really well and could teach them. So Cascadia, Calico, good old favourite Calico, which uh, <laughs> we got the verdict was not as fun as Cascadia because it's far too competitive. And then a bit of Cat Lady. Oh, what was that one I was saying to you just before? Uh, Fantastic Beasts, uh, Perilous Pursuits. I tried that one on the first day. That was surprisingly fun. Like it's this weird Yahtzee type game that I was not expecting. I paid $5 for it at the MeepleCon market last year, hadn't played it, had just had it sitting in my library and went, hey, let's give this a go. This looks like fun. And it was surprisingly awesome.
1: Is that, because I've not heard of that at all, is that Fantastic Beasts us in Harry Potter world? Yeah. Fantastic Beasts.
0: Yeah, Fantastic Beasts, Perilous Pursuits, and it, it's literally this sort of you basically play Yahtzee to put special powers on your board to work as a team to defeat, a, well, to recapture all of Newt Scamander's creatures that have gone missing. So it's really quite a fun little game and once you figure out how to play I think it probably took us two or three rounds to sort of go oh I get it now we're good but once we got into the rhythm of it it ended way too quickly we were like oh god damn it we want this to go a lot longer so really fast little game if I'm um, well when I say fast little game I'm the kind of person that loves playing you know, a nice two-, three-, four-hour strategy game. So it was only about a half an hour to 45-minute game, even learning it for the first time. So we definitely need to have some discussion, I think, on one episode about Harry Potter World or the Wizarding World-based games and sort of some of the differences in them. But that definitely, I think, is a win, that one. What about yourself, Chris?
1: Oh, there's, I was just going to say there's been so many different uh... – places where you get a particular kind of like theme for a game, or in particular a license for a game, and it spins off all over the place. Because I was looking just yesterday at the variety of Dune-based games mm-hmm. that have come out, because I, I, I love Dune Imperium. I don't like Dune as well. I think the film's fantastic, <laughs> but I, I never liked the book as a kid. So I don't actually like the, the, the setting that much. But I find um, but Dune Imperium is a phenomenal game. And then there's the Dune game, and now there's a Dune detective game. Well, Dune House Secrets is a variant of the detective game and the dune detective game is like the detective um i can't try and remember the subtitle for the game the uh there's a detective game by ignacy chevichek uh from portal games that uh that there was the detective and then there was the la crimes expansion and then season one the modern crime game modern board crime game
0: i think i know which one you're talking about yeah and i saw that they did a dune version and went what that's just weird
1: They've done all sorts of versions and, and weird ones of that. The, um, so, and it works. It's a good system. So I, I can understand why they're doing it. But they're very different games. Really, really, really different games. That's what I'm seeing. And, you know, the same thing you're talking about with the Harry Potter games is all the different ones. Like I've seen all the Funko Pop games. I could imagine a Harry Potter version of Betrayal House on the Hill.
0: Oh, yeah. Actually, that
1: would make a lot of sense. Well, they
0: sort of have sort of have one that's a bit of a legacy game with Harry Potter, but You know what, let's save that for an episode all based on Wizarding World games.
1: Uh, So I played, uh, well, the the, the big is so in advance of Bunnycom, um, we were just there we were getting on to the the end of the tickets, sales and so on, and a friend got in touch and and said, oh, heck, you know, kind of I've forgotten to get my partner a ticket for Bunnycom and, you know, is there one left? And I went... I think I think we've got one left. We can get it there. Can you just reserve it for me? And I was like, well, I'm not sure if it is there. And we made sure that they got a ticket in, uh, which was brilliant. Uh, but I said, on the condition that you bring heat,
0: because
1: you've got to come packing heat to a game convention. Now, for those <laughs> outside of Australia you go, we've been packing heat for ages. What do you mean, like heat? I'm talking just to be be really cautious about here, but heat, pedal to the metal, the uh, the the hot racing uh, or motor racing game that is the successor to Flam Rouge, the... Uh, um, hit cycle racing game and Heat has been the hottest, uh, pun intended, yeah. um, game of the, the Essen game convention last year. It's been the uh, the game that everyone's been seeking but it's been like gold dust over here because it's taken so long to get here and apparently it's expected sometime in June but miraculously my, my friends have got themselves a copy of Heat so I said you've got to bring Heat so they brought Heat and true to their word sat with us by the desk while we were checking people in so we could play Heat with them and, and it was, that was great fun. And it is a lot better than Flam Rouge. Flam Rouge is a good game. Uh, heat is not a complicated game, it's not a weighty game. And once you get into the play, though, you can move quite quickly and it feels like a race and that's a hard thing to do when you're talking about a board game because you're often being a bit more slow a bit more thoughtful there is a bit of thought going in so you've got to keep it simple enough that you can keep moving and rolling but it felt like a race so heat was fantastic and i really really enjoyed joy playing that i'm looking forward to getting a copy and everyone will be packing heat yeah. in about three months time <laughs> when we all dive out to uh to, to get copies when it lands in ours played transmissions finally which was uh jen we both played that I which loved was a. That. Transmissions is based on a bunch of post-apocalyptic robot art by the artist Matt Dixon. So if you've ever read Matt Dixon's robot art, the Transmissions is the game of that. That specifically doesn't have a story. And that's Matt Dixon, the artist, has explicitly said these robots do not have a story. Do not give them one, right? They don't have (laughs) one. So in this game, they're just wandering around, picking up junk, collecting up other junk, building up sort of like bizarre pipe collections and like doing some plumbing.
2: Yeah. For some reason, it's the plumbing weird. might be
1: more valuable if it's got butterflies and robins on the plumbing. Mm-hmm. And maybe you'll find some old socks. And potentially, you can go into the scrapyard, charge yourself up an old battery, go and pick up a flower from the meadow, and charge it in and end up with two pairs of old socks and a beach ball. And you get extra points for having extra odd socks. And <laughs> you collect all this stuff to power your robots up. But it might not be your robot because you're powering all the robots because it's a player. You can move any robot.
0: You know, Is that a fair description, John? I think that's a really fair description. And for anyone who's got no idea what the game's about, I know that sounded so confusing, but as someone that's played it, that totally made sense. So <laughs> definitely I think it's a game we need to dedicate an episode to for sure. right? I wanted to cuddle all the little robots. Like I wanted – They're lovely. I wanted little plush toy copies of them so I could take them home and sit and cuddle them while I play my own copy of Transmissions.
1: So now I'm going to Google Matt Dixon plushies oh, to see whether or not they actually exist. That would be so um, cool. I can, I'm seeing some art come up some, for 3D models to print. That's not the same thing. They're not cuddly. No, I don't think <gasps> we've got a Matt Dixon plush yet. I think that's a that's definitely something which should happen, but it's not there yet. But yeah, tran- transmissions is super cute. It's an example of a game where, strictly speaking, the beautiful, beautiful robot things are Kickstarter add-ons, and the, um, it does come with cardboard standees. The cardboard standees, in this case, ruin the game because the models are so beautiful yeah. and the feel of picking them up and lifting them is so beautiful. I, it's, it's one of those weird ones where you think, well, maybe there isn't really a retail edition. Maybe this is a pretend retail edition to make K- Kickstarter backers feel happier. I know it is out in the shops. I know you can get it, so... I'd be interested to know whether or not there is an edition of it that doesn't have the robots, and it seems it seems pointless. And that's probably your topic for yet another podcast, Jen, which is at what point, when game makers downgrade a game in order to make a retail copy so that Kickstarter backers feel they are getting the Kickstarter edition, is that downgrade worth it? Or should um... they just say, no, this is the game? Yeah, it's because... It's it, felt, it feels like that's what they might have been doing, but I'd have to see the retail edition to find out if it actually is, is missing the beautiful robots. Uh, we played Herbaceous. That was fun. That was fun. That was evil. I learned <laughs> something there. I learned that dill is an insult in Australia.
0: Dill, uh, dill is well a what? A herb
1: in Herbaceous. Oh, an, an insult. insult in Australia. Yes,
0: yes. You silly yeah. dill.
1: You tell her that's right. And that's right. And it was a dill. And I'm like in the UK and go, no, we have a In the UK, we call someone a dillo. And it's like in Australia you add no to everything, except, except with Dillo, Dill. where you take the O off <laughs> to make it into Dill. Okay. So that that was that was my learning. And we played a great game with Evidel.
0: Yes.
1: Um, back at mine in, in on a Sunday night, didn't we, Jen? Where we basically completely oh. destroyed your plans to Get the Evertree.
0: I'm so mad still.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will never forgive you and Rod for ruining my play. You could have literally waited one more turn and I could have had my Evertree and I would have won the game because it was only seven points difference. But no, you and Rod had to spoil my Evertree. <laughs>
1: yeah, we're not competitive. No. <laughs> um, and probably this thing, right, I um, – I ran a session of Blood on the Clock Tower one night. I think we're going to talk about Blood on the Clock Tower a little bit later because that is, it's a bit of a convention mainstay. And we had um, also a guy a guy called Ryan who also ran some fantastic games of Blood on the Clock Tower over the weekend, which was great. Um, but also managed to get my first proper game in of Station 4.
0: I want to know how that went.
1: So, Station 4, it was, uh, this is an awesome game and it was really interesting to see because we had um, a six player game going. Um, station Fall plays one to nine. I don't think I'd ever play nine. Oh Here we go God. on all day. But, the, uh, but six, five, six is probably about the sweet spot. Um, station Fall is a game in which a number of characters are on a space station that is plummeting to Earth and is going to explode in 13 minutes' time. Um, it's either going to explode in 12, it could explode in 12 minutes' time, it could explode in 13 minutes' time, depending whether it is destroyed on impact with the atmosphere. And on this space station are... Between twelve and twenty incredibly wacky and weird characters. There could be staff on the spaceship. There could be the uh, you know the exiled staff who's trying to sneak back in. There could be a psychopathic botanist who's basically got a man-eating plant that just wants to feed <laughs> everyone to their plant. There could be a, a legal robot that wants to make sure that everyone signed an NDA. And as long as everyone's signed an NDA, they're happy. Um, you could be a telepathic rat wanting to be picked up and to generally mind control everyone. Or you could be like an experimented on chimpanzee who literally oh just wants to steal shiny stuff and collect it all and escape. So there are all of these characters. And these characters have all these different motivations that you're trying to make. You are secretly one of those characters. And you've secretly got a backup character for some bonus points. But no one knows who they are. And you're trying to influence the characters. Every player, just like in transmissions, can move every character in order to achieve your separate outcomes. But of course, everyone else might be influencing your character too. And if that sounds chaotic or sounds a little bit like a social deduction game among us, it sort of is. It's also a really heavy strategy game. It's almost a simulation of a space station. So you've got all these chips on the board. I painted the miniatures for it and actually playing it without painted miniatures, I think will be very difficult to do. It's um, because you can't see quickly who's who uh, along the board. You've got all these different things that come out for different characters. You've got this kind of secret e- experiment that's happening off in the space station. In our game, we didn't actually ever open the vault to see what it was. Right. Which was, a, it was a Ooh. death ray, right? Yeah. It was the death ray might have been, but we never saw that it was a death ray because uh, no one actually opened that vault. Uh, you go around shooting people hitting people over the head and of course our, our psychopathic microbiologist was killing everybody
0: oh my god that sounds insane
1: so each game you can only take like a couple of actions you'll get like one action if the player that you're using has recently been used because they're tired or two actions and then potentially you can build up bribes and compromise on other players so that you can try and take more and do combos and that's often the way that you'd win you'd build up the ability to take a combo later in the game, which basically allows you to do something really clever. And it's not a lot. So the theory, the game should sit by very fast. Mm. But The options that you've got and the lack of knowledge as to what somebody else might do is so great that it can also make it quite difficult to make a move. So we probably had a table where there were, out of the six of us, three of us played fast. I played fast, but in fairness, I knew the game because I'd learned it to teach it. Um uh, we had uh, Derek was playing at speed. Uh, the other players, um, Ron was playing pretty fast. We had the rest of the players who were being more sort of thoughtful and at least a couple of players who were going, oh, heck, what the hell am I supposed to do? How can I at least eat one point or more point out of this game? So it's, it, it could run, you know, literally like in an hour and a half, but it could, I think for us, it took three hours. Uh, it could easily run to more than that. But it is just crazy. It's one of these things where once you tell the story of what you're doing, you have to then decide, am I going to play this purely for points? Or am I going to think, what would this character do? And you know what, have a little bit of a laugh and let's tell a good story with it. Or do I do half and half? Because you suddenly go, right, okay, they're doing this and they're doing this. And every single move, in particular when you pull off one of those combos, writes a little story that is really funny.
0: I think I would have to put I would have to put my lawyer face on playing that game because uh... – Otherwise, I'd get really pissed off every time someone moved my character in the wrong direction.
1: <laughs> you, you, I think that that's 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 it. And the uh, I said the I talked about it in the cute games mean session we had gem but you know um i was talking about echidna shuffle mm-hmm. in the world's cutest game and how mean it is i have finally managed to source a copy of it yes. it's on this way from the us so we'll have that but the reason that echidna shuffle is so mean is exactly that everyone can move every echidna and somebody can take the one that's about to deliver your thing to where it's going and move it one space too far so it has to go all the way back around the houses again to get there again and completely screw you over oh, and it's goodness. a little bit like that in stationfall like your character can like my chimp got killed off early so i had to do this thing called a Schrödinger reveal where i could use my bonus character as my main character um because i couldn't work out how to heal my chimp because he was being fed to this like toxic no! plant Ooh. But in the end of it, I then went and stole the Daredevil's rocket wings and they needed the rocket wings to make a showy exit to Earth because I managed to sink somebody else back to Earth because I now had a character who depended on getting as many of their fellow good folk back to the planet Earth. So I sent as many people as I could back to planet Earth and that ended up diverting somebody that was needed by another player. And you could see their face going, oh, no, (laughs) no. You've just destroyed all my plans.
0: I think this is another game we need a full episode on for sure. Definitely we need to play. We need to do a full episode on it and break it all down and it might be an extra long one.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a crazy, 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 crazy game um, and uh, there is genuinely nothing else like it. That makes it quite a hard teach, yeah, because well, there is genuinely nothing else like it. <laughs> so, but it was tough, but it was fun and it was awesome to be able to play it. Um, one thing we really appreciate as well is we had a game wife, who are Melbourne's own gaming table company had bought a bunch of their tables. Oh,
0: that was so awesome!
1: And you were playing villainous on on the big yes. square table, yeah, for some time.
0: Teaching, Jen, uh, how did you find that? Teaching <laughs> your lovely wife and your son how to play villainous with. My husband was playing as well and we had Mel, one of the other board members, her daughter was there. So we had an interesting uh, interesting group of people playing Villainous, the Marvel edition, which was all sorts of fun. I really enjoy Villainous. I think it's a very fun game for sort of, especially someone who's competitive, just to kind of relax a little bit because everyone in the game is trying to smack everybody else. So I just find it really, really funny. and it was, it's definitely though one of those games that I think sort of three to four players, it can accommodate five. Like it's got enough pieces in there that it says it is a two to five player game. But I actually think the sweet spot for Villainous is three, maximum four. I think honestly, five people playing that game is too many because it, It is a game that sort of everyone has to take their turn at their time and then there's all sorts of extra little things in the middle. The highlight of that game was getting to play on the game table because the game table really was epic. We were on one of the big square ones that had LED lights lighting up the middle piece and, oh, it's just it's so fun to be able to just sort of play on something that's specially designed for the purpose that you're doing rather than trying to reach just across the dining table, you know, where it's a yeah. wooden surface and all your pieces are sliding everywhere. So massive shout out to Gameway for bringing those tables in. I think everybody that played on them was like, these are so good, we want to get one.
1: They were brilliant. And I brought in uh, for, there's a group who, who they like tapestry. A couple of years in a row they've come along and I've said. Chris, can you bring your copy of Tapestry in for us? So I brought my copy of Tapestry in, but this time had all the expansions now and and the insert. I'm looking at these board game tables and Tapestry is one of those games that is a bit of a test for board game table because it's got quite big player board pieces and player board areas. So, you know, will they fit? Will they work over? So I said, you absolutely can, but you have to play it um, on that board game table over there because I want to know that it passes the Tapestry test. And then I checked the root test, which is the other one. And, and it did pass the Tapestry test excellently. Uh, they were playing five-player Tapestry with all the expansions for five and a half hours. Wow. And they were still, still really enjoying it. I was thinking, right, I think because Tapestry can at that player count can really, really, really sort of go on. Um, But at the same point, it really depends how much you're comboing as well and just the opportunities there are now to build up sort of massive combos that take ages to execute but then make your points explode.
0: I've still never played it. I need to play Tapestry. Everyone keeps telling me, oh, my God, you would love Tapestry, and I've never, ever played it. So we're going to have to pull it out one day and have a game in Tapestry, Chris.
1: Yeah, I will. I will. I will happily introduce you to to Tapestry, um, and it's uh, so it's it's. I think I think it's a fantastic game. Uh, it's and it's one of those games that's got a fan base that's just grown and grown and grown. But it's uh, but yeah, that was that was phenomenal. And I kept sneaking over basically to have a little watch of it because I was thinking right by by seeing you know if you see your own games, you know you know which games take up which kind of space and need what kind of table. Um, so it was it, Tapestry was one of the ones I really wanted to see played on that table and I knew I didn't have time to play a full game of it myself at the con so that was that was really cool.
0: Oh, I was going to say, you know, one thing I actually spoke to the gameway guys about was that the full extended edition of Absolutely Everything Everdell would not have fit on those tables. It may have fit on the square one, just but When I said to them, hey, look, this is actually what I really want, really great news. They do custom sizes as well. So if you want something epic and huge, definitely still head to Gameway. They do do custom orders. Their prices for what they do are ridiculously reasonable. So... Really good company to get in touch with, and you know what? All of our sponsors for BunnyCon in general were absolutely amazing. We raised was it eight hundred? It ended up being eight hundred and five dollars that we we did for the Good Friday appeal raffle this year as well, which was absolutely phenomenal, and we had donations from. Uh, Mind Games, who are a long-time sponsor of Melbourne Meeples, and we always appreciate everything they've done for us. Uh, we had Turn Order Games, very new store. Uh, they also donated a whole bunch of games, Melora Day Dice. We had the Warrior Hut. Warrior Hut also has been one that's been affiliated with Melbourne Meeples for a while now plenty of games, a new game store in the city. They gave us some really fantastic donations for the raffle. And we had a really lovely member come in and his uncle had actually made all these beautiful wooden card holders and he donated those for the raffle as well. So it's one of the other things I love about BunnyCon is just the generosity of everyone around our community getting together to raise funds for the Good Friday Appeal. It's just, it's beautiful to see. Everyone has so much fun with the raffle. There's lots of uh, jeering and cheering and booing and (laughs) it's the whole atmosphere of it is very, very fun. And I do believe, Chris, that you actually won something, didn't you?
1: I didn't know. I didn't win anything in the raffle this time, I don't think.
0: Oh, I know Rod
1: did. (laughs) Oh Rod did yeah if, if I'd have won something that would have been sus because I was pulling the tickets out. Very of the true. <laughs> that's what I was like thinking. So I think I think I think I did see one ticket come out into my hand and I thought that's my number. And I think I threw it back in again yeah. and picked another one because it felt like the right thing to do it's i should have just given the tickets to joe and then that wouldn't have been a problem yeah you should have <laughs> yeah she she was there on the wrong day just for for, for that we, we draw the raffle on a friday and uh and uh, my, my wife and my boy were there on the saturday so so we couldn't pull that one so it's uh, a no. it's it was a fantastic showing in the end and it is i think it's just the extent that you know like the gaming community does care when it comes to sort of throwing in for a good course it's it, there's there's a you know, big investment in that. And everyone enjoys a raffle and board gamers definitely enjoy a raffle.
0: Give us free stuff, hell yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, it's it's like anyone who says like, you know, apart from somewhere in the corner, there's someone who goes, nope. I'm a Gaia Project player and I will not accept a game with any randomness whatsoever. Right? They will still buy a <laughs> raffle ticket.
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> right? Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. There's just as much uh, generosity there. So um, instead of hearing from us though, Jen, shall we now take a listen to, I've uh, got some box pops we recorded from the day about all the exciting games that were being played at BunnyCon from the people that were playing them.
0: Absolutely. Let's hear what all of the people who came to BunnyCon had to say. Welcome back to BunnyCon, everyone. We are here with...
4: Andrew. Niall. Ron. Rachel.
0: And they are playing Concordia. Is that correct?
4: Correct. That is correct.
0: This is actually a game I've never played myself. Aghast, I know. Tell me about Concordia. What do we do?
4: So it's it's a game about dominating trade in ancient Italy by moving colonists around, trading resources, building houses and trying to kind of exert economic control over the region.
0: Ooh, it sounds like Agricola. Or oh, Agricola. Uh, Never um, let Karen hear me say that.
4: <laughs> Ag- agricola is more complicated. But okay. It, but it's got... It has some similarities. Yes.
0: And what do we think so far? Well, I've played it twice now. So, um... easier now, i played twice. Second time i played it, so it's good. Awesome. And... I'd love to know what each of your individual favourite games are. Andrew?
4: Puerto Rico. Warhammer 40,000. Good choice. (laughs) Chicago Express. Ooh, I
0: haven't played that. Wingspan. Good choice. You and I are clearly good friends. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, guys. I hope you enjoy the rest of BunnyCon.
1: So, hi, guys. Tell us a little bit about the game you're playing today. So, we're playing a game called uh, Atiwa. It's a week placement game
3: by uh, Rosenberg... Uh, What they call an intermediate level, relatively straightforward game to play. Uh, Worker placement, three actions. um, Sorry, it's advanced level, but it's not really advanced level. It's a good starting uh, game, I think, for a worker placement. Um, It's pretty cute. Uh, Actions are relatively straightforward. It's all about conservation. So, uh, basically, if you're polluting during the game, you lose spots on your player board. So you have to really carefully manage your resources to um, ensure that you're not uh, destroying the environment as you're trying to populate it. Um, yeah, it's all about cultivating little fruit bats and the
1: meeples are adorable. Yes, yes. <laughs> so do, you, do you feel that, the, uh, that the, the, the conservation part really comes out in the game? Do you feel it works out?
0: Absolutely. It's very clear that if you have a lot of families you're
4: trying to feed, and you don't train them, then you really can be hurt because you lose spaces that you can play on.
1: Hey guys, can you tell us a little
2: bit about what you're playing today? Uh, We're playing Quacks of Quedlinburg with the Witches Brew? which is something. Herb Herb Witches. Herb Witches. Herb Witches expansion, which adds a few extra elements into it. Love a good push-your-luck game, always push it too far, but my strategy with this one is push it and blow up early and use your spending power and then hope like how later in the game you don't blow up because you're going to be miles behind at that point. But it's a fun
1: game. So you've got some really fancy pieces for this. Do I take it that makes it one of your favourite games? Or? I think so.
2: When you're drawing things out of a bag, when you've got the little cardboard pieces, they often stick together. The, having the plastic pieces as they sort of an upgrade makes it a lot easier to draw the things out of the bag.
1: And what do you all think of the game? I think it's amazing. It's one of my favourite games of all time.
2: I love it. It's a nice light little push-push-your-luck game with um, gorgeous clucky bits. Uh, this game is called Darwin's Journey. It's a Kickstarter that I received a few weeks ago. Very um, new game. Uh, so this is the deluxe collector's edition. It's, all, it's a worker placement game about Darwin travelling around the Galapagos Islands, finding the theory of evolution.
3: And there's a lot of different options yeah. every turn. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. And how are you finding it to, to learn? It's quite a heavy one? quite. Nice.
3: Yeah, it's deep, it's deep, so it's good.
1: I like that. And uh, and I'm winning, so I'm enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean, David, does that mean you did an excellent teach?
3: I must have, I must have.
4: I think I'm just a great teacher, yeah. Hey
1: guys, can you tell us a bit about what you're playing?
4: Okay, we're playing Wayfarers of the South Tigris. Uh, it's a Euro game uh, in the form of, you know, the Shem Phillips games of West Kingdoms and North Sea. Uh, but this time it's the South. Uh, It's a dice manipulation game, you're rolling dice, you're using the dice to um, do different actions depending on the symbols you have for each of those dice. It's also got worker placement mechanics, so you do have workers that you can place on the thing and collect different resources and cards.
1: How how different do you feel that the South games are going to be from the West games? Does it feel
4: very different from the West games? Well, having played both Wayfarers and Scholars, uh, we've had the chance to play Scholars on tabletop sim. Um, It does feel very different because, yeah, it's focusing on dice, manipulating those dice, as well as these things called influence tokens, um, which kind of deter other players from going to those spaces because it costs them resources to then give to other players if they do go to those spaces. Um, So yeah, that's the the biggest difference. It's dice manipulation with influence uh, control as well. No,
3: I think it's a great game, but it's definitely Shem, each of his games are getting heavier and heavier. North series, especially Vikings of the North, Seas, was... Raiders, quite a, Raiders of the North Seas was quite a light game and then they got a bit more heavier. Then West Kingdom, it started a bit heavier with Architects and it got heavier and heavier. And this is starting at a. Not, not really heavy, but it's still a bit more crunchy than you'd get from an original starting game from him.
0: We're here with Imogen at Bunnycon. So, what have you played today, Immy? I've played Flux today. Which type of Flux? Um, I think just the original. And what do you like about it? It's fun because it like, changes all the time. Like Every time you play it, like, every round is so different. And what's your favourite board game? Probably marrying Mr Darcy or Pluto. Oh, high five,
1: yes! <laughs> so, hi guys. Um, tell us a bit about the game you're playing today.
5: Uh, we're playing Hegemony, which is uh, different classes of states. Trying to balance an economy. Uh, I'm playing the middle class. And uh, my friends here are playing the worker class, the capitalists and the state. We're trying to uh, run a society which is balanced.
1: Oh, yes. And who are
5: you playing? I'm playing the oh. middle class, uh, squeezed in between the capitalists and the worker class. I'm trying to make a living and keeping my people happy. Uh, do, do you find that the capitalists care about you at
1: the moment? At sure?
5: this point in time we had friendly negotiations, let's see how we go. And I'm trying to appease the worker class by offering some rebates on healthcare. Let's see if uh, they are impressed with that. For now, the state's doing a good job, and I'm happy with my government. So, pretty, pretty impressive at this point in time. Honestly, so you said that, uh, you, I, earlier that you
1: didn't actually uh, it's your game, but you've not had to teach the game. So, I'm sorry, it's uh, that's, that's this the, game. That that's is a, that's, that's that's the dream place to be. How much did you pay
3: him? <laughs> I'm a public service uh, uh, education provider as the state, so uh, no. So I've I played the game once on Tabletop Simulator, that was enough of an experience to know it, you, if we wanted to play and get it done by the end of the evening, uh, we needed to start, and the person who had an inkling of what to do needed to step up and just try to say things, and so I did that, um, I, my, my voice is regretting it, but um, we're playing, and that's the important bit we the will find this. the theme it's is coming really really good. It is yeah.
5: extremely thematic yeah. for a euro game and every single action you can actually see how the whole society actually functions and then you feel for your people. So it's it's an impressive experience at least in the first four turns. Yes. Very very impressed with the artwork and the components as well. It's 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 a top-notch game.
2: So far, very, very much yeah, enjoying
4: it. We really explored all of its systems yet, because we're still in turn one. So that,
3: it's uh, still a, the honeymoon phase. I'm sure we'll be angry at each other in another hour and a half's time.
1: Hey guys, do you want to tell me, what game are you playing today? Uh, Happy Pigs.
3: It's the f- first time we're,
2: um, we're trying it out, and
1: yeah. So I don't know Happy Pigs at all. So t- 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 tell me a little bit about the game.
2: It's pretty much breeding pigs from young to old, and then you end up selling them to make profits.
1: So is it a nice game about the pigs or is it a game where actually you're just selling the pigs to make sausages or is it about, do you think it's about keeping the pigs happy?
2: Well, we're selling the pigs. It's up to the buyers to decide what they want to do with the pigs. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's finding it fun. We're probably halfway through and now we're, stri- we're figuring out the tactics and strategies. But that's per learning all new games, that's how it kind of goes.
1: Yeah, you can't, can't see it obviously on a podcast, but it's very colourful, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, and all the pigs are square-shaped for some reason, but... And there's a vaccination system as well, where they get wounded after you vaccinate them, so it's
3: quite cute. So hi guys, tell us a little bit about what you're playing today. Uh, we're just playing Spirit Island, two-player. Um,
5: it's my first time. Uh, so far, so good.
1: <laughs>
3: took, took me a good hour to teach it, but we're getting in there now. <laughs>
5: It's, it's, it's
1: a
3: really easy, light and fluffy game, isn't it? Yeah, just like, you know, your Unos, your Monopoly. It's very simple, yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful game, yeah. No, I've, I've played this a fair bit in the past, love it. Always wanted to show Julia this one. Um, so it's good to finally get it to the table.
1: And it looks absolutely fantastic on the table you're wrong because you're also here at BunnyCon showing off the wonderful board game tables that you make mm. over at Gameway. So tell us a little bit about those.
3: Yeah, so we're based in Melbourne, in Brunswick, uh, and we just make really, like, we're dedicated to quality timber board game tables, so really customizable drink holders, LED lights, all fancy stuff, Um, and yeah, just all handmade here in Melbourne, which is great. Check us
4: out on Instagram or on our website, we're Gameway. Yeah,
1: Gameway. So is there, is, is there a board game, particularly like a popular board game that's come along that's really challenged you from a board game table design point of view where you've gone, ooh, how on earth are we going to get this to play on one of our tables and then you've done something a, clever to get around? Very that. good
3: question. Um,
1: so you, you can't make
3: a table to fit every game, as everyone knows. Um, but even I can see Ark Nova over there. Ark Nova has a really long central board, like a really long, thin central board. So it's about how can we fit that long central board and player boards in, in like player boards are the toughest thing like generally um so whenever i see a new game coming out that has either a massive central board or a big player board i have to go do, do we have a size for that like currently because yeah say
4: the one i've seen most customers and jim trying to figure out the most is um scythe and then yeah, the expansion and,
5: mm-hmm.
4: and just trying to make that work and we have so many people who kind of design around their
3: favorite game yeah Yeah, that is like for instance i'm a i play big stupid um territory control games uh like twilight imperium game of thrones and they generally work best in a squarish sort of environment so my table's a big square with big fat borders like that's just a a me thing whereas um you know games like Spirit Island can kind of go on any table that's yeah. kind
1: of great about that
5: yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm noting it's an absolute fabulous little sort of player board extension mm-hmm. over the end of this table and I was thinking how do you do that and that's how you do that it's a, it's a lovely little thing it reminds me of, uh, of the desks we used to have because I'm old enough to remember <laughs> a, those school exactly, desks yeah.
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a good yeah. throwback
3: yeah <laughs> I I'm a big I love having in when I'm playing games I like having all my personal components away from everyone else and away from the general space so that's why borders on these tables are great because I've got my area, you've got your area, and then there's the, the battleground in the middle. You know,
4: or using the ramps, or using the... and getting
3: the accessories. Yeah,
4: totally.
3: Yeah, it's a yeah. Board game tables are like you don't need one, but it's so nice to have one.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they they are absolutely beautiful and they're phenomenal and they're some of the best that I've seen. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks. What are
3: you playing? Uh, well, we're playing uh, Marvel Villainous. never played this game before. I picked it up off the shelf so I can play with my mum and a couple other people. So far, it's been pretty fun. But to be honest, half of the stuff I don't really know what I'm doing. So I'm kind of just trying to screw as many people over as I can. Right. Do, 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 does that feel right for the game? It is called Villainous, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, what? I'm a villain, so just kind of right. playing my part, you know. But I still want to win. Oh. I mean, the kind of the stuff that goes on in this game reminds me a lot of me and my friends playing Minecraft, just really hectic. So, so does bits. it?
1: I've not played villainous either. So, does it um, make sense that if you can be as evil to everyone else as possible and win, then the game has got it right? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, Joe, what do you think of the game? Uh,
3: I'm still learning it, and it probably wouldn't be instinctively the kind of game I'd pick. But you know, I'm just giving it a go and um, seeing how it how it goes, counting this as a practice game where we're
1: just going to learn. Do you feel you can get into the spirit of being evil enough for this game?
3: I'm not sure. No, I don't normally feel I, I do, apart from when I played his father, my father's work, when deep. I did go down the, uh, <laughs> the really evil track. But normally I play quite
1: nicely. So, so you're learning evil from this game, then you bring this back and, and, and win even more at my father's work.
3: Yes, I think when you get attacked, then suddenly, you know, any strategy you had has has got to change, really. So I'm learning that.
0: We are here at BunnyCon in Glen Waverley talking to Camille. Say hi, Camille. Hi, Camille. Camille. (laughs) And Tasha. Hello. What are you ladies playing? Right now, we're learning parks. Have you played this before? No, I have. And what do you think of Parks? I like it. It's very,
5: very pretty. I love all the pieces.
0: And Camille, what's your favourite game? From today, Cascadia. Awesome. And Tasha? Oh, there's so many good games. Between Two Cities, Abyss. Of today. (laughs) Oh, today. Um, I really
4: liked Kabuto Sumo.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Enjoy your
1: time. Hey guys, uh, can you tell us about what you're
3: playing now? Uh, this is Obses- Obsession, Pride, Intrigue and Prejudice in Victorian England. It's a little Euro game where you're um, members of uh, Victorian families in Derbyshire, England. Um, you're trying to increase your reputation and attract the, um, the, the
1: nobility. And how are you finding it? How does it feel from the point of theme? Does it feel like it is really, really set in Downton Abbey or so forth?
0: It certainly does. And interestingly, I've been watching Downton Abbey recently, and so
5: it's very thematically appropriate right now.
1: Uh, I'm looking at this picture here of the Alderley Hall in in, in Derbyshire, which looks a little bit like Chatswood House. I used to live down the road from there. (laughs) Has that been part of the appeal? Maybe,
3: a little bit. Um, uh, I think it's it's a type of game that I really enjoy and the
2: fact that the um, the theme seems to come through quite well is, is great. Right. So are you a Downton Abbey fan?
4: Uh, not so much. Not so much. Thanks very much,
1: guys. No. Hi, guys. So uh, could you tell me a bit about the game you're playing today?
4: Yeah, uh, we're here playing Foundations of Rome. It's, uh comes in a very, very big box, but don't be intimidated. It's very, very simple. Um, it's basically, it's a strange form of sort of area control game, but rather than invading each other, you're just building rome basically um (laughs) i I suppose its greatest selling point is uh just how beautiful the minis are um everyone gets their typical game trays it's it's a case of overproduction for such a simple game but but it's easy and you can introduce it to first-time gamers
1: that, that is an absolutely huge box, is it? Who's, whose game is this? Is this one of yours?
4: Uh, it's mine. I've got. I'm a bit of a sucker for buying overproduced games. So, right. so,
1: so which games for found themselves back on like the top of the cupboard where no one can
4: reach them after you bought this? Uh, so, oh, I've actually had to buy like a trellis table to put in the middle of my games room just to store more games at the moment. So, I'm in a state of flux in terms of storage. Um, but yeah, so just, I don't know where I'm putting my Vindication big box or my Isle of Cats big box uh, your... or Frosthaven or yeah. Frosthaven to make it good. Yeah.
2: Okay.
4: <laughs> to, to
1: everyone else, have you played this before? Uh,
2: yeah, this is our third time playing it now with Scott. Um, and each time each time we play, we've introduced a new rule. So this time we've got personal uh, personal secret objectives on top of a roll. Yeah. Um, each time we played it we've added one additional Um so yeah we we, we enjoy this game we play it every time we come to BunnyCon or MeepleCon um, because it's just so beautiful and so easy to play
1: it, it does look absolutely phenomenal and what what do you think of it mate? yeah
5: it's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's pretty fun right. and that's that's about it <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, are these guys was, 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 did you get a good teach? do you know?
5: yeah yeah I know what I'm doing yeah. uh, <laughs> Yeah, Yeah.
1: that sounds like you're going for the slow, sly victory.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing quite well at the moment, so...
1: Phenomenal. Well, I'll let you get to it, guys. Thanks very much. Thank thank you so much. Enjoy day.
0: So now we're with Rod Flores. Rod, can you tell us what games you've played today?
2: Um, Cascadia.
0: Yeah.
2: uh, Crazy Cat Ladies. Yeah. And what's this one called? Parks. And Parks.
0: And so far, what's your favourite game you've played today?
2: Um... Well, by deep, I will take Crazy Cat Ladies.
0: And what keeps you coming back to BunnyCon every year? My wife. That's a really good answer. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good to hear what a great time everyone had at BunnyCon this year. I know that I had such a good time. But hey, Chris, are there any games that you regret not playing at BunnyCon?
1: There's lots of games now. I'll tell you, the one that and this is really weird and I think we I can't remember whether we've spoken about this at all on a podcast before and I haven't played it the game that got me most excited that I saw someone else playing that I really wanted to pick up and play but didn't and this is odd for me or it feels odd is Obsession
0: Me too (laughs) that's exactly what I was going to say I really (laughs) wanted to play Obsession and when you handed me the box and you were like you have to see this I was like holy crap I want to play that game so bad it's so pretty so we definitely, definitely need to uh, have a game of obs- obsession at some point. Now, do you know? What? We we definitely, I think we need to get our hands on a copy of Obsession, Chris, and we need to play. And then we need to do an episode on it because it is such a pretty looking game. And I read a little bit through the rules and went, "This sounds super fun. This is so up my alley."
1: It's meant to be fantastic. And what's really weird is that I know people that have played it who have a similar disposition towards Jane Austen. Um, the, mm-hmm. the obsession is Pride and Prejudice the board game, mm-hmm. or Downton Abbey the board game, if you like. That's what it is. Uh, there are people, uh, and Jen's looking like, yay! yay! And if you said that to me <laughs> outside of this, I'd be like, oh no. Please no. <laughs> um, you know, it's It's got a building on the outside of it. I know I used to drive past it because I used to live around there, and you're um, up in well near the Derbyshire Dales. Um, so it's But it's just fantastic. And the friends I've got who feel similarly about um, Jane Austen and that kind of novels and have played it, they half begrudgingly go, it's really good. Mm -hmm. So if they love it, you're going to absolutely adore it, yeah.
0: Oh, I'm sure I am. I'm the biggest Downton Abbey fan in the world and I love everything Jane Austen and old-worldy and pretty. So I also... The other one that you told me about where you're you're trying to make patterns
1: oh damask
0: i want to play damask. damask. i really really want to play that
1: we'll have to bring so yeah damask we will have to well we'll bring again to Borden at west Jan. um and i don't know because that probably isn't as readily available um certainly in australia i don't know if it is
0: What's really crazy, most of you listening to this probably don't know Chris and I that well. Uh, I actually have a second life as a surface pattern designer, so I design fabrics, and I've never played Damask. It's a crime. So definitely one that uh, we will need to have a play of at some point. Are there any other games that you, you'd you scheduled to play at BunnyCon and you didn't get the chance?
1: Well, I hadn't really scheduled to play much at Bunnycom because there was, I mean, that's run, when you're running a board game convention, yeah. <laughs> that's work. So, I, I, my plan was to make sure that I played Station Full and I got that to around and we did that. Um, it was also to play Blood on the Clocktower uh, and to run a game of Blood on the Clock Tower in Eden, which I did. Um, so, sort I'll of come back to that. Um, there was, I think, in terms of games that I'd really like to play, I did manage to play the Pursuit of Happiness two player with Tam and I'd love to play that again with some few more players so that would have been a game that would have been great to sort of break out because that's a nice sort of a uh, uh, sort of convention length game but I think I think I managed to get to play the games I really wanted to play which was Fall and Heat nice so those are the rest of them um, I there was a whole load of games that I'd like to get to the table and play a little bit more that are in my sort of list of what want to play so I want to play some more Root um, and in fact there's a whole bunch of those sorts of games like I've Root never played and Root either and-
0: I need to play Root sometime
1: so I recently got hold of a copy of Ahoy, which is is not by the designer Root, but it is by the artist of Root, and it is from Leader Games. But it's almost considered to be well, it's a piratey game. I don't think this point, and I love all piratey games, but it's a piratey game that is effectively almost like Root Light. So it's almost like being published specifically to be a an asymmetrical game, which is gets you used to playing asymmetrical games, so that you could then go on and play Root. Nice. Um, and um, and and it looks a lot of fun, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to sort of beef that around. So that might be a good a good starting point as well, because that might work better with three or four. But root's fantastic, and I want to play more and more root. <laughs> because uh, I've not played enough of that. Um, so that's a big one on my wish list to play. Um, a game called In Too Deep is a game I really want to try and play because that's been on my sort of unplayed pile for absolutely ages, but I didn't see anyone playing that at BunnyCon and I, it was another one of those cryptic games. That I thought if I bring too many weird things...
0: People will know how weird you actually are.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's that thing where people go, bring some normal games, bring some straightforward games. But, I, but no, I mean, I played the games that I wanted to play and I... Loved going around, um, just watching every now and again. Absolutely. You take a little spin around and actually just see w- w- what people are playing, how they're going. Um, there were some big games of hegemony, mm-hmm. or hegemony, being played at the convention oh, almost d- every day. Did you get on to the play? Double tails was taken up with hegemony. No, because that no. would have been again. And it's it's a good sort of like four hours. Uh, to play through sort of hegemony. But um, but I really want to play that now. And it was really interesting seeing it played and then hearing the stories from people who'd been playing, you know, kind of how... Who, who'd won, who'd lost, obviously. But, you know, how they'd won, what the rhythm and the story of the game had been. So that was great to get some feedback. Uh, and that that's, looks like a really, really interesting game.
0: Yeah, we we ended up giving a couple of players uh, lifts home on one of the nights and or a couple of the nights actually and we had Matt in the car who had been playing hegemony all day and was talking to us about it and how interesting it is and how political it is and I'm still on the fence about that one because I hate politics but it sounds like a really good game. And it sounds interesting enough that I actually still think I'd like it.
1: There's there's two really good political games, that and, and which I said before about Chasson, um, which is, Sharsen uh, is probably the best political game that I've seen, um, The um, which is completely different. And Shasen does dive into the actual nitty gritty of politics. Um, Hegemony he stays at macro level politics. Um, both of them, I think you might like. Probably, I think Shasson is one which is is kind of uh, after a while you kind of go, I can't believe we're going here in a board game. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, it's it's yeah, um it's it's a it, it's very very well researched and very very close to the bone, but it's much more about the social attitudes that people have towards politics than actual macroeconomics and so on. But
0: speaking of politics, why don't we chat about Blood on the Clock Tower?
1: So, one of our questions of the pod today, we were going to have a little bit of chat about Blood on the Clock Tower, because I, um, I was sort of running a game of that, So we just discussed at OsbunnyCon, and we had some other games of that running at OsbunnyCon. We've had games running at MeepleCon. And um, not only does almost every board game convention around the world now have a little bit of Blood on the Clock Tower being played, there are whole conventions devoted to nothing but Blood on the Clock Tower, regular evenings where people play nothing but Blood on the Clock Tower. It's fair to say that it's a complete straight-out phenomenon. Um, it's in the Game of the Year. Um, it's been shortlisted. But actually, it was one of the uh, the sort of games of the year in the, uh, is it the BGG Awards or mm-hmm. Golden Geeks?
0: I actually heard Conquest was running at the same time in Melbourne over the weekend as OzBunnyCon, and quite a few of my friends who were there were reporting back, hey, we went and played Blood on the Clock Tower, and they had some very de- divided opinions on – Blood on the Clock Tower and what kind of game it was bringing us to our question of is Blood on the Clock Tower a role-playing game, a strategy game, or a social deduction game?
1: And it's probably worth saying very briefly what Blood on the Clock Tower is because it, it's a very interesting game. We're trying to work out exactly what it is and what dictates what it is is heavily down to the people playing it and the storyteller running it. But Blood on the Clock Tower it is trying to say this without saying it's a social deduction game <laughs> but on the top tower is effectively what happens if you take a social deduction game like werewolf and effectively elevate it on steroids mm-hmm. by giving it a vastly richer set of roles that the different p- people can be playing in a the room they're all hidden roles and some of them are evil and some of them are good as you'd expect and putting a lot more if you almost like logic problems in those roles so you get little things in terms of those roles that give them effectively clues that are very very deductive in a logical way and then you put in a storyteller and that storyteller acts as someone running the game but because you've got someone running the game you can do much richer and more complex things in terms of the messages that you're giving to individual players the decisions that players are making because the storyteller can record them all and the thing which everyone knows if they've seen Blood on the Clock Tower is that the box opens up into this sort of book, referred to as a grimoire, and all the tokens have felt backs on them, and they stick and adhere to this felt back book. And with this, you're able to map out which players' secret characters are where in the room, and you've got tokens to keep track of all these complex pieces. So while it takes a little bit of learning to be a storyteller in Blood on the Clock Tower, a lot of the learning is about how to use the aid memoirs and if you like, almost the player rates. So, in fact, if you put it another way: the components of Blood on the Clock Tower we've talked about, good player rates, are one giant, really good player rate. So good. That's what you're getting in the box, right? There are no components to Blood on the Clock Tower really, apart from the board on the floor and the life tokens and the human beings. Everything is a player rate.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so
1: it's so it's, but that's what Blood on the Clock Tower is. Now, the challenge we have with it sometimes is that you are especially as new players coming in. You've got these roles. Are you the washerwoman? Are you the monk? Are you the saint? You know, the raven keeper? You know, are you the drunk? If you're the drunk, you don't know you're the drunk.
0: Yeah, thanks.
1: You might think you're the fortune teller, (laughs) yay. You might be assigned to be the drunk. And and Jen still thinks I did this on purpose. (laughs) I didn't do it on purpose. I I picked out the drunk and I picked out which character was going to be the drunk, the fortune teller, and then she randomly picked the fortune teller out of the bag. It was
0: so funny. I accidentally (laughs) ended up role-playing it perfectly as well. And I guess this brings us back to where did this question come from? Because for me, as someone who really got into more complex games as a LARPer, I took one look at this game and went, oh, great, this is an introduction to role-playing games for no- someone that's never played a live-action role-play before. What a fantastic way to introduce people to live-action role-play, give them a really good guide, make it really simple. It's like an hour-long game, basically. It can go longer, of course, but it what a fantastic way to introduce people to role-playing. happened to mention this to someone. And they said to me, no, 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 it's not a role-playing game. It's a social deduction game. At which point I was like, wait a sec. It's not a social deduction game. It's role-playing. And you know what, huh? So I find it really interesting the different way that people actually see Blood on the Clock Tower. And when we played at BunnyCon, it was actually the first time I'd ever played Blood on the Clock Tower, despite having been around it so many times before, every other time I've been around it, there's been a reason that I shouldn't play, which was all to do with either I was there running the event and there was someone who was going to be left on their own. So I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't do that. should definitely play with that person or was busy running MeepleCon. <laughs> and so someone had to be at the front desk and that was me. So it definitely is something that I'd wanted to play for a long time Chris as a storyteller you did not disappoint Ryan as a storyteller did not disappoint but the two of you run that game very differently and it was actually really fantastic as a first-time player to have a session with you and the way that you run it and then have a session with Ryan and the way that he runs it and I loved it. I, I loved seeing the two contrasts of accidentally being the drunk in the first game and being the, the fortune teller who was role-playing it all as if that was my character and I'm running around telling people, I had a dream and she definitely is evil and I had a dream and he's evil. And half the room was sort of role-playing it and half the room was just social deduction, talking to each other and it, logicking it out.
1: Mm. And I suppose, did you find that it was that the type of game you thought it was changed between those two sessions?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because then and I very consciously made the decision that I was going to play the two games very differently to really get an idea of different game styles. So in the session you ran as well, I did play it very much as a role playing game. And when I saw half the people there really just discussing and logicking, logicking it out, I can't say that word today. <laughs> the second game I was very quiet and I was the Raven Keeper. So really the Raven Keeper during the game becomes most useful when they die. And I didn't die. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I spent the game sort of more observing and watching what everyone else was doing and went, oh this group of players that are playing under Ryan are playing this very much more as a strategy game, which was really, really interesting to see. So I guess my question, Chris, is what do you think? Do you think it's a role-playing, a strategy, or a social deduction game?
1: So it's probably a little bit of all three depending how you play it. But the for me, I guess in my ideal place, I'm enjoy it most as a social deduction game with a little bit of strategy. However, the designers of Blood on the Clock Tower will say specifically that it is a strategy game and they make a point of actually saying that. And what becomes clear, and I suppose it's probably even more clear as you get into the kind of the, the more advanced Blood on the Clock Tower packs, because most Blood on the Clock Tower games, I, I reckon it must be at least 95% are played with the character set we played with, but there's one more advanced than that, and one even more advanced than that, um, which are quite crazy. And the um, so the trouble brewing set, the basic set. Um, ultimately, everything is a logical statement. You know, you get you know, you'll find things which are, you could be this, but you might not be this, or you will know that one of the two people adjacent to you is one of these things or isn't one of these things, and then you might be wrong. So you've always got a logical way of assuming stuff. Now at the same point, you often don't 100% know that that's right. Even so, because there's little bits of kind of like, a sort of, if you like, double bluffing that can go on, uh, or you can be caused to, you know, you can be poisoned and find out that everything you're told <laughs> is a lie in one particular turn. But after a while, you can start seeing patterns. And so when people have played Blood on the Clock Tower a lot, and that's the thing, because there are people playing it over and over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over again, the roles that are there, the kind of thing where in the first games you might say, I'm going to play the monk. So we had a character in, in, in the game I was running who was playing the monk who was like spraying holy water with her hands and stuff.
0: The one that I accused of being evil.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And there, there, there she was, you know, kind of looking as saintly as possible and, and saintly she was, well, monkly she was because the saint is a different character. But that approach was, um, was really kind of effective and really good if you've got a game full of people that are newer to the game and probably even a little bit more than newer to the game you know playing it and you're playing it for fun quite lightheartedly but if you start getting to the point of thinking hold on i think i've got the strategy here and you start trying to really really learn it and unpick it it's um it's a massively complex game every time you think you've basically got the logic to it it adds more richness and adds more richness to it and that can turn it into a strategy game. And I think the difference is that it's not only one of those things. I think it becomes a strategy game when people have played it more. The problem for me when thinking about running it, apart from just enjoying it as a sort of fun game, is that there's the storytelling playful aspect to it. You know, we actually have some fun with it. And the social deduction sites are more accessible to players who are, you know, haven't played as much of it. And because the storyteller's running it, although it is a little bit head-doing, there's no reason you can't have a satisfying game of Blood on the Clock Tower first time round, second time round. But if you've got a whole bank of very experienced players, they might be like, some of this is fluff. I don't need this. I've got targeted things I want to ask to do because they're racing through games, getting better at it, actively going, right, how do I win? How do I come up on top? How do I make sure I'm the person who's worked out who everyone is the fastest? And that's also fun. But I think that only works with a crowd full of people that know it.
0: It actually made me think... Um, having played it myself now, hearing your take on it, hearing Ryan's take on it, and then listening to all of my friends who went to Conquest and played Blood on the Clock Tower, that really, especially if it's obviously something we're going to be doing at MeepleCon, I think we need to run beginner sessions and advanced player sessions and then mixed sessions. Purely simply from the point of view One really negative review that I heard of it was one of my friends that went to Conquest and he booked in to play it having heard how amazing it was and ended up in a session where there was him and two other people who'd never played before, complete beginner players, in a session with a whole group of very advanced players who were there just for the social deduction and they did not have a good time. They came away from that wanting to have another go, not being able to book into another session because it had just been booked up by these advanced players who were just playing over and over and over again as the, you know, complete strategy just wanting to win. And they'd gone into it thinking more like me that it was a bit of a role play fun game. So it really made me go, oh, okay, there are definitely two distinct types of people that play this game. And I really saw it as this could be so much fun to just, you know, in my head I was going, oh wow, this could be like a little mini LARP session, you know, you could get all people, their characters maybe beforehand and just say to them, you can't talk about this, but get everyone to really, you know, role-play this whole thing is a a really great little role-playing social deduction game that's a good one nighter. But even just in general, keeping it broken down as have you ever played this game before? okay, cool, let's put you in a group with a whole bunch of other people who haven't either so you all have a very fun same first experience with someone running it like yourself, Chris, who I think you did an awesome job as a a first time playing it, making it really fun and light and funny and going, look, there is some social deduction to this and there is a bit of strategy to this, but we're not going to take it too seriously. We're just going to have some fun with it as opposed to Ryan, who runs it as a very competitive game. And both of them have merit. Absolutely. And I saw where Ryan actually changed it up and did one of the other, you were saying that there's different levels. He did the mid-level of the game and it just was such a different flavor. And I could see the, the people who'd played a few more times before really sort of came alive in that second session with their strategy and deduction and how they were doing everything, definitely it needs to be broken down and it's something that if you're going to have advanced players in with some new players, I really think you need to give them a little talking to and just, you know, nice talking to and say, hey, look, we've got new players in there. We really need to be gentle with these new players and make sure they have a really good time because I would never want the experience that three of my friends had at conquest where they completely got turned off the game entirely because they just got thrown into a session with people who just wanted to win.
1: Yeah. And I think there's, I mean, obviously you can win with your team and you might be on the team with those people, but it still changes the, the atmosphere. And I think there is also that kind of thing. Like, do you play it for, with a spirit of kind of fun and playfulness? And, or do you, in fact, when you're leaning into it, it's the same thing with the role play thing that you lean into it, just being dark and kind of menacing. And so, and, and, People will also do a little bit of that. There are groups that like playing Blood on the Clock Tower and actually, you know, kind of getting into the sort of like very, very dark, sinister aspect of it when they're when role- And they're, they're not really role-playing when they do that. They're just, they're leaning into the... I suppose they are, they're leaning into the suspicion and you know, the whole kind of like, I don't know who anyone is and everyone's devious and playing it sort of a... very sort of dark and conniving. And that's a different type of role play. And actually that is... 'Cause that's almost like meta role play, isn't it? You're not role playing the character you're given, you're role playing the the spirit of the game. But the spirit of the game can be more fun and playful yeah. and can lead more into that. In you can ham it up Rocky Horror style, or you can play it Deadly serious like The Exorcist if you like. That's that's kind of the play. And the and I think that's um, again, they're sort of different groups, at uh, MeepleCon or as BunnyCon. We want to do the, the most successful absolutely um, that's, that's the one that really matters most um but can we the opportunity for both this is is also great but that i think was a really good and interesting thought that you had there jen about the idea of blood on the clock tower as being something that might be able to bring the experience of like a, a LARP game or live action role play game yeah into a a space where you've got a more controlled game that is accessible to board gamers, social deduction gamers, so forth. That's something that I think is really interesting. That whole concept of doing that. I'm not sure that Blood on the Clock Tower is it. I think that's what you found, isn't it? It's not quite. It. But that I think it would could be, a really be though. Thing to
0: I'd love to run it as a you know that maybe this is my aim for MeepleCon is that I should learn to run Blood on the Clock Tower so that I can do a more role play based session. So you know, really put it out there and say this session of Blood on the Clock Tower is for people who really want to role play their characters, not just do it as a social deduction, but really get into your character, have a few minutes to have a real good think about it and actually really genuinely role play who you are as a character. Because as someone who loved laughing, like I LARPed for, oh my goodness, like 15 years. And genuinely only stopped LARPing because the crew that I used to LARP with who I absolutely loved LARPing with are all interstate now. (laughs) You know, like everybody lives elsewhere. And there is a really amazing LARP community in Melbourne. Don't get me wrong, there really is. But I just feel like at this point it's not it's not what I want to do anymore. I don't have as much time for it. But every now and then a good murder mystery night, a good role-playing session. I love my tabletop role-playing now. It still, you know, fires up my soul and gets me super excited. And I just, I can see it being used in that capacity in a really fantastic, very fun way. Probably not something that the creators thought of, but I just think it would be amazing, you know. It it mm-hmm. really has so many fun elements. It's like playing, it's like going and doing, you know, uh, uh, what are they called, the rooms where you have to get yourself out. <laughs> escape room (laughs) it's like doing an escape room and then playing an unlocked card game you know they both have elements of each other one could definitely be expanded into the other one could be contracted into the other both of them have merit all of them are heaps of fun and i definitely see blood on the clock tower that way you really can make it what you want it to be i
1: think i think so i think there is It'd be interesting to see how that plays out because the role-playing is is a little challenging in Blood on the Clock Tower because you might be trying to play your character, but you might also be trying to play your character pretending to be a different character mm-hmm. because they're trying to deceive everybody about who they are. And certainly the bad characters are doing that because at least the the imp or the, the baddie in the basic version of Blood on the Clock Tower knows a handful of characters that are not in the room. So they can pretend to be them without getting immediately caught out. Don't get that same luxury if you're just one of the minions. You get that if you're the imp. Um, so you've got you've got some way to work with that because no one's going to role play the imp because that's where you'll get caught out but the um but it is i think there's definitely opportunity for that and really what's in there is how that could be made sort of more interesting because it's interesting you call that murder mystery nights of course that is a a version of a a, a larp game Mm -hmm. it's just a version of a larp game that you can buy in target in a box to to run a party exactly house for anyone who's completely accessible and those are not you know that that's not outside the room. Loads of people have done them, and they're quite straightforward to run. And some of them take a little bit of of, of management. And uh, and I know I've done. Let's say, I've run and written murder mystery night for people before in the past, and uh, and it's great fun. So there's definitely something in that. Uh, but no, I mean that's it's a fantastic game still, and I think the 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 level of blood on the tower has become an international phenomenon, is just crazy. Whether or not I think it it sticks. And I think its staying power is going to be down to whether or not it can stay a game that is accessible to those, um, not just the player who've only played it once, but those people who play it occasionally, as opposed to becoming something that has like its little niche. Um, it, yeah. It, and so that'll be interesting because I don't know as they build more and more character packs for it, if there are ways they can lean into those players rather than just getting more and more and more advanced. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. We'll wait and see.
0: Well, it's been Absolutely fantastic going back over Oz Bunny Con and what a fantastic time we had there. We would love to hear from all of you. Did you go to Oz Bunny Con? What games did you play? You know, did you have a great time? We really hope everyone did. And yeah, let us know. We we'd love to hear from you. We would love to know what you're thinking about podcast as well. We had some really fantastic feedback was bunny con from people coming up and saying hey we heard the podcast we think it's absolutely fantastic we can't wait for the next episode i don't know about you chris but that made my little heart go oh
1: i got a jump just uh the first time someone kind of said oh yeah i remember when you were talking about that on the podcast that's that first thing then i heard somebody saying that they thought it was absolutely brilliant i was just like oh wow because fir- that first point where you you realize people are listening
0: right
2: um,
1: and that that sounds silly doesn't it but you know when you when you started a new podcast and you put it online the first thing you kind of assume is well maybe no one's actually heard it except <laughs> us two listening back to it to check it's all right and then you realize actually it's it's you, you, you're getting out there so thank you thank you to all of you for, for listening absolutely uh, we'll keep on trying to make it entertaining we've got bucket loads to talk about uh, that's on our kind of future episodes list and so on so we've got um we're not going anywhere No, we're definitely not. Stay with us. Tell your friends.
0: Absolutely. And hey, the next episode, we've got some really fantastic things planned. We're not actually going to give you any hints other than we are going to have a special guest next time who has some really, really fantastic opinions to share. And I'm pretty sure all of you are going to be on the edge of your seats listening to everything they have to say. So from Chris and I, we hope you have a really fantastic week, play lots of games, have lots of fun. All of our social information is in the podcast information below. Have a great day, everyone.